Everybody, welcome to The Stoop. So I grew up in a small American town, and much like any other town around the country, we were surrounded by friends and family. We had our schools and churches, and local mom-and-pop shops. There was the local characters and criminals and busybodies, and we all kind of knew each other's business. And rather than gathering on the front porch, we gathered on our stoops. See, this little small town was hidden in a far-off corner of a giant city. And although it seems like an ancient age, my memories are quite clear. So sit back and let me tell you the tales of my days and my crazy times on those stoops of Atlantis. Anthony Martinetti lives in Boston, on Prince Street, in the Italian North End. The home for more than 50 years of the Prince Spaghetti Company. Anthony takes his time going home, but not today. Today is Wednesday. And as every family in the North End of Boston will tell you, Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day. As a kid in East Harlem, and I would imagine most New York neighborhoods of that era in the 70s and 80s, there were the dinner calls that went out at around 6 p.m. Dinner time. I could still remember some of the motherly shout. There were the full family calls where the entire brood would be beckoned, like, Joseph, Patricia, Kathleen, Anthony, Tony, Ann. And then there were the only child calls, like, Jimmy? Or Denise, or Russell. Or then it was the international flair. Mimo, super. Whatever the call, the thing was, we had to eat together at the table. And it was there where we laughed, talked, fought. Well, mostly fought. If you wanted to leave, there was a procedure. You had to ask to be excused. And if you didn't wait, the required, and, and required varied night to night, the required length of time, the answer was a stern no. What are you in a hurry for? Where you gotta go? Sit down. Eat with us. Relax. Food. Most of our rituals revolved around eating. Everything. From from First Communion to Fourth of July, eating was the center of the culture. The only thing that came close was music, and that'll be another episode down the road. There were two schools of thought in old-school New York Italian homes. That thick and fragrant pot of deliciousness that bubbled on the stove on Sunday afternoons was either sauce or gravy. In my family, we called it sauce, but a number of my aunts and uncles called it gravy. I'm not sure how this personal preference was determined, but whatever you called it, there was nothing better than sneaking a meatball after church or dipping a hunk of Maroni's bread in that pot. bread. That's another staple. Except for maybe when I was six years old and my mom would make me cream cheese and jelly sandwiches. I've not been a huge fan of Wonder Bread. It may very well be that it's partially made from white toy dough. 
Uh-oh, here comes trouble. It's the, the lady in charge of the school cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Smart shopper. Squeezes bread to see if it's fresh. Then she'll see why they call us the fresh guys. Imagine, every loaf of wonder is wrapped warm from the oven. In this stay fresh wrapper. No wonder we stay so fresh. And pass the squeeze test. Oh, that's smart. Wonder bread, one squeeze proves we're the fresh guys. Woo! There are two ways to cut a sliced bread sandwich, horizontally or diagonally. We all have our preferences. Many prefer the more exotic Pythagorean-style slice, where one ends up with two perfect right triangles. For some reason, I lean toward the cut that would please Oliver Wendell Holmes, the pragmatic horizontal cut. Why? I'm not sure, but maybe because my mother used that simple cut, so I was used to it. And on the occasions my dad made me a sandwich, he used trigonometry. Sorry, Dad, I know you meant well, but you know, it, it tasted all the same. Anyway, you had your Italian bread, and you had your bread made by Italians. Italian bread you bought from the grocery store or the supermarket. It was factory-made and shoved into long paper tubes. It was okay. I mean, I ate plenty of it in my day, and it served its purpose well. But when you wanted the best homemade semolina, crunchy-crusted, sesame-coated loaves of joy, you walked over to 116. You took those steps down into Maroni's shop and inhaled deeply. It was like a little trip to that glorious island on the Mediterranean. The accents and essence of real bread filling your nose and ears. There was no lunch better than my mother's eggplant parmesan on Maroni's bread. My mother is Italian, and she's always been a good cook. It's in the blood. But oddly, one of her most famous meals, aside from the Sunday sauce and the eggplant parmesan, was not Italian at all. It was her fried chicken. There really is a Kentucky Fried Chicken School. Yep, today we're making the Colonel's original recipe. What have you learned? Fresh chicken makes the best chicken. And that we use 11 herbs and spices. Oh, but that's the Colonel's secret. And special pressure cooking. <laughs> so it's always tender and juicy. Looks like you've learned to make great chicken. Only way to serve our customers right. It's so nice, nice to live. So good about it. So good about Kentucky Fried Chicken. She learned the recipe of making it with flour rather than breadcrumbs from a woman named Sherry who lived across the street. My mom would add just the right mix of herbs and spices and get the most amazing crunchy crust that would put KFC to shame. She used the same cast iron pan for years and years. And one day when I was in high school, I did the math to see how many pieces of chicken had been fried in that pan. I mean, I figured maybe 10-12 pieces per meal, about once a week. That pan was like 20 years old. The total number was over 10,000 pieces. But the poor chickens were not only massacred in that pan. We were lucky enough to have a backyard, which meant we could partake in the greatest form of cooking there is, the barbecue. As soon as you walk in the house, it's like, get away from that grill. You know not how to start no fire. You know not how to start no fire. Put this fire. This ain't no fire, goddammit. Eddie, Eddie, go over there and give me all that wood. I need half a tree. Chop that tree down over there. Chop down that tree and give me the wood from that tree over there. And chop it. Go give me two gallons of gasoline out of the shed. Give two gallons of gasoline. You kids roll up your shirt and put that on the grill. We're going to start a fire. The best smell ever is that wafting cloud of smoky onami drifting over the backyards of 118th Street. It meant summer was there, or was close. We usually barbecued on weekends, and kept it simple, burgers and dogs and Italian sausage. And of course that meant an amazing sausage and pepper sandwich on, uh, on the Maroni's bread. And it was an occasional steak thrown in that tended to get massacred to a charcoal slab. And that was just perfect for my sister Donna, who, to her, a perfectly cooked steak looks like something mined from the deep beneath the earth of Scotland. My dad preferred to be able to hear a meek but audible moo coming from the meat. Me, I lean medium, although as a kid, I think it's par for the course that most kids like it cooked to death. But barbecue was more than the food. 
It was about eating outside, under that setting summer sun. A great warmth in the air and a real sense of freedom that Monday was just another day off from school. And that smell of cooking meat would also fill the entire neighborhood when the Mount Carmel feast was going on. Sausage stands set up on Pleasant Avenue contributed to that amazing summer air. And when there was the feast, there was another culinary treat that could only be enjoyed for a scant two weeks in July. Zeppelis. Many cultures have their version of the Zeppeli, like, you know, like the funnel cake. Zeppelis, they were just simply a blob of dough dropped into boiling fat and dusted with powdered sugar. It's the ultimate sweet peasant food. It illustrates the beauty of simplicity. I love to go with my dad and watch the man measure that perfect amount of goo into that bubbling cauldron, and then watch, like some wondrous witchcraft, they were scooped out with a mesh ladle, and then a snowfall of sugar was shaken upon it in a brown paper bag. The bag was shaken like a Bon Martini, and then that sack of deliciousness was handed back to us. I can still smell them as I write this, and I could feel the greasy stain that would soak the bottom of the paper bag. It was the greatest neighborhood treat, and it was extra special since the time frame to enjoy them was so short. Since 1906, Mama Leone's restaurant has been famous for fresh homemade pasta. Today, there's Mama Leone's Pasta Suprema. Spaghetti, ravioli, Mama Leone's Pasta Suprema, the kind of fresh homemade taste that made Mama famous. Back in the day, there were very few restaurants around Pleasant Avenue. Rayo's is still down those few steps on the corner of Pleasant and 114 across from Jefferson Park. Now, like then, you had to be a politician, a celebrity, or a wise guy to get in, or know one of the aforementioned. We didn't travel in those circles, so I've yet to set foot in Rayo's. But my mind was blown once on a trip to Vegas when I suddenly felt I was transported from the desert back to Pleasant Avenue. There before me was the corner of 114th and Pleasant, but it was in the Bellagio. It was created in loving detail with that same red exterior. Oddly, though, I had no desire to try the Vegas fake. It's going to be the original or nothing. One day I'll get in there. Patsy's was more approachable. It's still there on 1st Avenue and 118th Street. You have your two options. The restaurant, decorated with the aesthetic of a Long Island uncle's basement. That's where you dine in. And in the 70s, you may even have a run-in with Frank Sinatra. Now just sit there and don't interrupt me. I've got a very big deal going on. Large chips, carloads of them. That sounds familiar. That might be so, but this time it's true. Oh, good. I like to have rich friends. This is one rich friend who wants to spend a bundle on you. Gee, thanks. Okay, that's settled. On the morning of January the 2nd, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to hop down to Rio, so you pack a bag. My sister had a friend whose dad worked at Patsy's, and Frankie gave his leftover slices to her and her friend Serena. And I recall seeing his limo parked outside with its golden lamb hood ornament. Next door is the cubby hole of a pizzeria, and it's exactly the same now as it was when I was eight years old, or when Christina slapped me in the neck with her slice. Check out episode 30. There's that same ancient coal oven, the wooden glass case for slices, and the odd soda machine. And up until the early 90s or so, you can get fresh clams in the twin tubs below the front plate glass window. I would watch my dad, or later my friend Joe, cut open the clams, dash a bit of Tabasco on them, and slide the slippery treats into their mouths. I never developed that taste, although I do like oysters, but clams never caught my fancy. Although watching them perform that culinary ritual, I kind of wished I did like them. As for the pizza, well, depending on the chef, it would range from being my favorite thin crust slice with nice burnt dough, great sauce and cheese, or sometimes a sloppy tasteless mess that looked and felt like a wet dish rag. But pizza, even when bad, is still good. I don't think I ever met a slice I didn't like. 
So after you were done with the eggplant palm or the fried chicken or that final hot dog that was sacrificed to the charcoal gods on your barbecue, you know, when that last slice of pizza or final bite of sausage and peppers were taken, the last delicious crust of Moroni's bread was devoured and that last greasy zeppoli was eaten, there was always room for an Italian ice. There were a few places in East Harlem to get them, but, well, not really. There was only one place to go. Rex's. I can, and and I probably will do an entire episode on Rex's Italian Icy Shop. We called it the Icy Store, or Rex's. It was more than a place to buy the best tasting, and I think always homemade ices. Rex and his mother were an unintentional comedy duo. They could have had their own sitcom. Although the sign bragged about a dozen flavors, including the elusive Tutti Frutti, as well as the enigmatic homemade donuts that not once in my life ever made an appearance, the flavors he made were great. I remember them all. There was a lemon, of course, pineapple, coconut, chocolate, cream, occasionally pistachio and cherry, and always that mysterious flavor, lily with nuts. Now, I've never seen this flavor in any other Italian ice store, not even in Italy, and I've never tasted it. I never ordered it, but there it was, always. And if you're listening to this and, and you have experience with lily with nuts, or even a Rex's donut, please write your story on the Stoops of Oantis Facebook page. I'm dying to hear the details. Anyway, back in the day, the sizes ranged from a nickel to 50 cents. Then the smallest size jumped to a dime, then a quarter. But these were the flavors of summer, and stepping into that old shop that hadn't had a paint job in my lifetime was special. Its vibe ran from stock full of candy and video game machines in the late 70s and early 80s, to a sad, desolate dive with two or three flavors and bare shelves in the 90s. It's been closed for years, and, and I recollect fondly so many hours hanging around Rex's and getting yelled at by his mother for making too much noise at the game machines, or joking around with Rex himself, whose actual name I never knew, and just enjoying those great ices. I mean, there's always Mr. Softy Truck for that summer treat, and the sound of its music still fills my mind and this podcast with memories. But Rex was a unique experience to my neighborhood alone. No branding, no franchises, no decor. Just a lonely man and his mom and the best Italian ices anywhere. Yeah, you know, food is part of the human story. We all have our cultural favorites. And like the great heroes and heroines and villains of our written stories, food is part of the colorful vocabulary that helped write the tales that were told on my stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Please make sure to go to rupertstarbright.com and drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the podcast and spread the word. Until next time.